Thanks for joining us for Life Vineyard Church. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Well, if we haven't met yet, oh, I got a little, my name is Liz, and um, I'm one of the lead pastors here at Life, and it's good to be with you on this fall day as kind of the fall weather is ushering itself back in uh, to central Illinois. So a little story to start off um, our message this morning. There was a family from New York, and they uh, bought some cattle. They intended to raise this cattle. They went out uh, west. They bought this ranch. And then they had some friends come visit them on uh, their ranch. And their friends inquired them about the ranch's name. And the rancher, the would-be rancher, this is what he replied. I wanted to name it Barjay. My wife favored Susie Q. One of our sons wanted the flying W, and the other liked Lazy Y. So we're calling it the Bar J Susie Q Flying W Lazy Y. And his, the friends asked, but where are all your cattle? And he replied, well, none of them survived the branding. Right, right? Yes, yes. So, you know, this just illustrates that we as humans, we disagree a lot, right? Do you have disagreements in your household? Yes, yes. And the church also finds itself with disagreements and division. There are different styles of worship, right? There are points of doctrine that we disagree on. There's church structure and, and staffing. There's ways that we choose to live out our faith that we disagree on. And, and the list goes on and on. And in fact, there are more than 43 thousand denominations worldwide. That's a, that's a lot, right? But the central unifying thing in our faith as Christians is that Jesus is Lord. He is the center that unites us. And the world teaches, hey, if we disagree, you know what we should do? We should separate. We should divide. We should kind of distance ourselves from people that aren't quite like us, that um, don't think like us, that don't appear like us, that aren't in our same status or belief, right? And this separation, a lot of times, is, is driven by some type of fear, fear that... Um, our differences are, are dangerous in some way, right? That our differences might look bad on our identity if we're associated with somebody not like us or that maybe we, don't, we won't get it all right if we're looking with somebody different. We become uncomfortable, right, when we can't control everything about another person and we don't quite understand everything about another person. But in the body of Christ, we belong solely because of Jesus. We are a forgiven group of people. We are a loved group of people that is here because of Jesus. He is our foundation. So we have to. We're compelled to say that God's love must dissolve our fear on the differences, because it's the only reason that we are here in the first place. So we are one in Christ. That is the foundation of our beautiful community. 
You know, Jesus spent uh, a few years with uh, some people on earth called his disciples, and they were a group that had their differences as well. So four of them were fishermen by trade, and so that means they were pretty, they were commoners uh, amongst society. Two of them were sworn enemies against each other, okay? So Matthew, he's a tax collector, and that means that he was a traitor to Israel and basically hated by society. And then there is Simon the Zealot, whose previous faith said, you can kill tax collectors, and they're on the same team here. Um, then you have James and John. They were nicknamed the Sons of Thunder because they were often quick-tempered, right? They were demanding. Peter, in his personality, was impulsive. Sometimes he acted hastily. Thomas was more introspective and skeptical. Andrew was warm and winsome. And then there's Philip, who was the only one who wasn't a true-blooded Jew, okay? He had some Gentile in his lineage. So the, here is a group of diverse people with their diverse personalities coming from different places in society, and Jesus makes them his dream team. He lives with them, eats with them, does ministry with them, teaches them, and he loves them deeply. And as the time comes where his arrest and crucifixion draw to the very point of time, he finds himself passionately praying for his disciples. But not just his current disciples, he actually prays for you and me. Now imagine that the news tonight announced that um, they found some newly uncovered writings of Abraham Lincoln, okay? Imagine that there were some writings that he made, some speeches that he had written out in full but had never yet delivered. And they found these speeches and they were to future leaders, okay? And in this speech, he mentions you by name. And he actually gives you advice and instructions that's going to be key to your current job. That would, be, that would be pretty epic, right? That someone in the past thought of you and gave you specific instructions. That's what this passage that we're going to study today looks, is like, where Jesus is praying for you this morning. And he's actually praying for our church this morning. He's having this conversation with his father where he's just passionately pouring out his heart for his followers and his future followers. So let's turn. John 17, 20 through 26 is our text this morning. We're going to be jumping around John a little bit this morning. So I'm going to read it out of the New Living Translation. You can follow along on the screen or open it up on your own device. <clears throat> This is what Jesus prays. I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me, 
so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Father, I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am. Then they can see all the glory you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. O righteous Father, the world doesn't know you, but I do, and these disciples know you sent me. I have revealed you to them, and I will continue to do so. Then your love for me will be in them, and I will be in them. So Jesus knew that his message would carry on through his disciples after his ascension back to the Father. And he knew that this message would carry on from generation to generation to generation, all the way down to you and me coming to know Jesus for ourselves. And here's Jesus' heart as a follower of him, that we would be one that we would be one in him. And he came to make this new spiritual family that was united. And I want us to consider three things this morning from this passage that Jesus prayed for us. The first one is that being united is a gift from the Father, and it's through his glory. Now, Jesus says in verse 22, he says, I have given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as I am one. The Father has given us his glory. And together, this body of Christ and the larger body of Christ, we illuminate the splendor, the glory of God. Now, if, if you read the beginning of John, there's this tension all growing in the whole gospel story where um, the Jewish leaders of the time and the new followers of Jesus, uh, they don't agree, right? And the Jewish leaders don't like Jesus' teachings. They don't like his followers. They're pretty much adamantly against everything that has to do with Jesus. And they, there's this one tension that comes up is where is God's glory found? Is God's glory found in the temple or is God's glory found in this person, Jesus, who claims to be the son of God? Now for the Jewish leaders, there's one right answer to this question. And that is that the glory is found in the temple, the physical temple. Because specifically in this temple, There is one room which one priest goes to one time a year to make atonement for the sins of the people. And that's where God's glory is. But the beginning of John's gospel paints a different picture for us. Um, John 1, 14 says this. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. 
So here we are shaking the foundation of the Jewish belief system, right? Their worldview. That Jesus is actually the expression, the full expression of God's glory on earth. You know, the other day I was uh, driving to Champaign and I ended up behind a Coke truck, okay? It was all red and on the back of it was this glass bottle with some brown fizzy liquid bubbling over and to the top. And it's the little slogan on the side. Um, it said, taste the feeling. Taste the feeling. And I was just, you know, driving, thinking about that phrase. And I was like, you know what? I can taste the feeling, you know? Imagining myself at a backyard barbecue and taking a bite of a juicy burger, eating some corn on the cob with some melted butter and salt. And you know what pairs perfectly with that? A Coke. Now, maybe you disagree with me, and so we should probably separate. No, I'm just kidding. You can bring your Pepsi to my backyard barbecue. That's okay, or something else that you drink. But a glass-bottled Coke. I can taste the feeling of a glass-bottled Coke. And it got me thinking that when we experience God's beautiful community that he's intended us to experience, guess what, guess what we get to taste? We get to taste God's glory. We get to taste God's glory. Now, Henry Nouwen, he's an author and a theologian, and he has this beautiful quote on uh, Christian community. He says, nothing is sweet or easy about community. Community is a fellowship of people who do not hide their joys and sorrows, but make them visible to each other as a gesture of hope. In community, we say, Life is full of gains and losses, joys and sorrows, ups and downs, but we do not have to live it alone. We want to drink our cup together and thus, and thus celebrate the truth that the wounds of our individual lives, which seem intolerable when lived alone, become sources of healing when we live them as part of a fellowship of mutual care. Community is like a large mosaic. Each little piece seems so insignificant. One piece is bright red, another cold blue or dull green, another warm purple, another sharp yellow, another shining gold. Some look precious, some look ordinary, some look valuable, others look worthless. Some look gaudy, others delicate, we can do little with them as individual stones except compare them and judge their beauty and value. When, however, all these little stones are brought together in one big mosaic, portraying the face of Christ, who would ever question the importance of any one of them? If one of them, even the least spectacular one, is missing, the face is in. Together in the one mosaic, each little stone is indispensable and makes a unique contribution to the glory of God. That's community, a fellowship of little people who together make God visible 
in the world. So we make God visible to each other and to the world around us. So what is God's glory, you might be asking? Well, you know, in the Old Testament, it was defined as like this weight, okay? God's glory is weighty because it's his worth. And I love that description because um, sometimes, a lot of times, when I'm experiencing physically the Holy Spirit, I experience the Holy Spirit like a weight, like a, like a weighted blanket almost. Like he comes on my body like a very deep, physical, weighty piece. And that's the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's the glory of God resting on us. And in the New Testament, glory is talked about as, as praise and the splendor of God, the majesty and magnificent of God, magnificence of God, the character of God expressed in and through Jesus. You know, God's glory indicates his presence. Moses asked to see the glory of God. And when he was waiting there on the rock, God's goodness passed before him, and he heard the still, small voice of God. That's how he revealed his glory to Moses. So when we experience glory, it's when we find something beautiful and compelling, and that, that magnificence draws us in to adore it and to be captured by it. So number two, this glory is not something that we strive to produce, but it is something we steward through unity. Now, we belong to one another in this spiritual family. The uniquenesses, the differences, the diversities, we all belong. But it takes an intentionality to steward the, the unity that we experience. The Holy Spirit brings this unity about because it's not easy or comfortable. <laughs> we, we are different people, and we can't just stay insulated with the people that are most like us, right? You know, small groups are happening, and maybe you went to a small group this past week, or you're going to go to one. But in small groups, you get to know each other more, right? You hear each other's stories and each other's lives. And these are moments of glory in small group where we hold space for each other's story. And we speak into each other's lives. And we get to be a sojourner along the road with somebody else. Whenever we behold the image of God in another human, we are tasting the glory. We learn to love each other and forgive. And we learn to, to pray and to share in the body of Christ. We steward the glory of God through manifesting the characteristics of God himself. That was what Jesus did on earth. So we steward God's glory when we practice love. 
John 15 tells us a lot about love. So I'm going to read a few verses, 9 through 12. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. This is Jesus talking. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. So love has to be our highest priority. It's the new commandment to remain in the love of the Father and let that love be the fuel that lets us obey and follow Jesus. It's a sacrificial love, the way that Jesus modeled it, the way that he washed his disciples' feet, and the way that he went to lay down his life at the cross. We also steward the glory of God by doing the works of Jesus. John 14, 12 says, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done, and even greater works, because I am going to the Father. We're entrusted to carry out the same works of Jesus through the Spirit until he returns. That means you and I have to stay pretty attentive to what the Father is doing. We have to stay attentive to the Holy Spirit so we can participate with him. So that we can bring heaven to earth through our kingdom actions. We also steward the glory of God through death to self and multiplying kingdom life. Jesus says, Now the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. Anyone who wants to serve me must follow me because my servants must be where I am and the Father will honor anyone who serves me. Now, a kernel of wheat, it's only good. It's only useful when it gets planted into the ground. Because when it gets planted, that's when it sprouts and produces the grain. And so Jesus, this is how he brought glory to his Father. This is how he entered into his Father's glory. And this is how we enter in too. When we die to ourselves and when we cling to God, he multiplies our life and turns it into everlasting life. But it's not just about eternity and the future, but it's about the kingdom now. That as when you and I live sacrificially and we do the work of the Father and we maintain the unity of our body, we become a powerful witness to others and we bring others into the story of God and life with him. Lastly, The experience of unity reveals the Father's perfect love. Now, who gets along best with you? Is it your spouse? Is it your 
brother or sister? Is it a friend? Is it a coworker? Who gets along best with you? This is a trick question. You get along best with you. Because, listen, I'll tell you, we're all like porcupines at times, right? You know, like we can be gentle and kind and nice. Our quills are down, right? But if you're anything like me, you know, deprive me of a few hours of sleep, don't do what I ask you to do for the 10th time in the morning, and boop, one of my quills is probably going to pop out and get you. Okay, and now who am I getting along with best? Just me, right? Me, myself, and I. And the pattern goes on and on in multiple spheres of relationships, right? You, you get the point. That's a, that's a gentle example, but we all have them, right? And so the unity that we enter, the love that we enter is this perfect union of the Trinity that Jesus talks about in John 17. He says, you know, the Father is in the Son, and I am in the Father, and it's the Spirit that unites and makes all this possible. And Jesus prays that you and I would enter into this same circle of belonging and love, that we would experience the glory of his love, the weight of his love, the splendor of his love, the depth of his love. It's a love that knows no bounds, that counts no sin against us through Jesus, that sees you and I as perfect and holy in him. And Jesus says that he has come. In 17, 25 and 26, he says that he has come to reveal this type of love to you and I. But he also says that he will continue to reveal it to you and I. Because you know what? I need it every week. (laughs) I need a reminder of the identity I have in Jesus every single week. Because there's something that is going to knock me off my game every single week. That gets my mind thinking some other kind of distorted thoughts. And I need the continued revelation that I live in the center of the Father's glorious love, the circle of the Trinity. Sometimes you call it like the Trinitarian dance, you know? The Father, Son, and Spirit. You live in the center of that love. And when we you live in that unity, that beautiful community that's united in that type of love, we become a powerful witness to the world. And you and I are restoried in in our identity as believers and sons and daughters. So here's my call to action for you this week. I want you to pray throughout this week, show me your glory, Lord. Show me your glory. And then I want you to choose one of these practices and and ask him for that answer to be revealed in one of these ways. God, show me your glory as we sing together this morning. 
Show me your glory as I serve with somebody or I serve someone else. These are the one another passages. I didn't even uh, write them all, but you can Google like one another passages in the Bible. There's a list of the things that we do for one another, with one another. God, show me your glory through your beautiful community as you build someone up, as you live in harmony with one another. So I'm going to invite the band back up, and I'm going to ask you guys to stand, and I'm going to read just a few psalms as we enter into worship that speak of God's glory, because his glory is here. And, and I can go about my life and my day and not pay attention, but then I can stop and pay attention And then you're like, oh, God, your glory is right here. Your glory is right there. I didn't even know. Dan was making an omelet the other morning, and I said, Dan, that looks like a really good omelet. He said, I'm making an omelet to the glory of the Lord. I said, you know, that's what my sermon is about. He's like, I knew it. So you can even cook breakfast to the glory of the Lord. All right, would you guys stand? The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Open up ancient gates, open up ancient doors, and let the king of glory enter. Honor the Lord, you heavenly beings. Honor the Lord for his glory and strength. Honor the Lord for the glory of his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. I have seen you in your sanctuary and gazed upon your power and glory. O God, we give you glory all day long and constantly praise your name. Amen. At Life in Your Church, We want you to experience the life-changing presence of God. We'd love to have you join our community. We meet every Sunday in Muhammad, Illinois. To find out more, go to lifevineyard.org, lifevineyard.org.